Hi, I'm Chris Herbert, the CEO of TrackR, and you're listening to the App Guy Podcast. The App Guy Podcast, straight from your host, Paul, the App Guy. So if you are a motivated individual listening to this podcast, then you will love this episode. We cover everything from the new gold rush, which they're calling the green rush. Uh, we talk about some of the challenges of uh, getting into the green rush you know, in terms of the funding uh, and uh, a really wonderful idea about building businesses around the, the outskirts of uh, the industry. Uh, I mean, the green rush is cannabis. So uh, we are going to talk about um, themes that are more uh, t- towards the adults. So uh, if you do have kids around listening to this, then I suggest that you listen to it some other time when you're on your own. We talk about um, protecting your brand uh, and uh, the importance of uh, patents and then also some of the biggest reasons why startups fail. So a wonderful conversation with a COO of a law firm. Do stay tuned, but first let me thank my two sponsors. TopTal. TopTal is a marketplace for the top developers and top designers. So to get a no-risk trial period of up to two weeks with the top 3% of developers and designers in the world, visit toptal.com forward slash pool toptal.com forward slash pool and thank you to toptal for supporting this episode gummy cube gummy cube are dedicated to helping your mobile app find its audience so for the world's best app store optimization and pulling data that you need from the app stores then go to gummycube.com that's g-u-m-m-i-c-u-b-e gummycube.com hey thanks gummy cube for sponsoring this episode Welcome to another episode of the App Guy podcast. I'm your host. This is Paul Kemp. So this is the show where we get uh, startup founders, entrepreneurs, every every person who's an expert who can help us with our own businesses. Uh, we love to go around the world and get lots of uh, different people from different uh, walks of life. And I've been fascinated by the whole growth of um not just startups, but the industry of cannabis. We've had a previous episode where we talked about the whole uh, growth of uh, um, the cannabis industry, especially in the US, and also um, the importance of uh, brand protection, uh, patents. Uh, I'm I'm going through currently an exercise of uh, making sure I've got a patent on um, uh, an app. And so uh, I wanted to introduce to you my guest. His name is Abe Cohn. He is the COO of uh, the legal group and it's actually um, Howard Cohn and Associates, Howard Cohn and Associates. Uh, and Abe, you're going to talk to us about uh, startups. So welcome to the App Guy podcast. Fantastic. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's such an interesting um, discussion to, to be a part of in an industry that, that's emerging uh, ever quickly. So I'm happy to be speaking about it. Thank you. Well, we can go in a number of directions, but let's just touch on the controversial topic because uh, s- some people want to talk about it some don't but it, it's it can't be ignored uh, in the US there's a whole movement towards legalizing cannabis there's all these firsts that are coming up there's websites uh, popping up everywhere people are getting um, into the startup business focused on that what is it you're doing in that whole industry sure so you know recently we we launched a specialty group of our law firm called thc legal group and our goal specifically is to provide um legal protection 
and of course intellectual property protection for companies that want to get in the cannabis space so you know what's so challenging about um the industry as you noted is that on a federal level it's still illegal but of course in many states it's either legal medicinally or recreationally so you know figuring out how to reconcile um this this seeming strange turn of events where something can be legal in one state and yet illegal on a national scale um, is something that that we work to do with our clients um and of course depending on their needs we we must kind of come up with different unique solutions and and help them um uh, make sure they're not doing anything illegal it must be such an industry in interesting time to be alive working on this because it's almost like if you're looking for an industry that is in the dark ages i mean it's cannabis because it's come out of the kind of underworld and the you know the dark mystery and it's now coming to be a legitimate sort of way to serve humans and do you there's a lot of potential to disrupt i guess totally i mean people are calling um the cannabis industry, the the green rush, you know, instead of the, the gold rush that that Americans were excited about 150 years ago, you know, now people are talking about the green rush, you know, cashing in on this natural um, substance from the earth that's been around for, you know, millennia, and, and now suddenly it's really making its way to the forefront, and, and hopefully, um, you know, we're, we're working to, to strip the, the stigma that has kept it um underground no pun intended right for, for <laughs> such a for, for such a long time so it is extremely interesting and, and there are so many different kind of um cross-cultural and, and, and social considerations that someone who wants to be in this industry uh is forced to contend with so it's fascinating on, on a lot of different levels so let's talk to those entrepreneurs that are listening to this that have capacity to start new projects and new companies. What What is the, I mean, initially, I guess that you're focused on working in the US, but what's, what's the, let, let's assume, assume that we're talking now to a US audience that um, are wanting to get into this space. What, what recommendations would you suggest to keep legal and uh, to have the most chance of success? Well, the, the first thing to keep in mind, um, and it's absolutely critical that the, the individual focuses on this, it is still illegal on a federal level. So what that means is that many of the resources that um, an entrepreneur would normally have are, are not necessarily available. So w one of the best examples of this um, is access to venture capital. Because it's federally illegal, and at least in theory, the federal government could come in and, and close down your cannabis shop, investors are much more cautious about putting their money in because the liability is so much greater. And of course, investors that are interested in investing in the space recognize the liability and expect more equity, you know, more voting rights on the board, more power than they otherwise would have, um, you know, in similar situations for a non-cannabis related good and service. Um, so, so that's really one thing to keep in mind. You're, you're in a, a space that has not been federally sanctioned. And so there's more liability, more risk, and, and therefore more things to be wary of. Um, so th that's the first thing to keep in mind. Um, then depending on your idea, you know, you'd want to do different things. Um, what's really interesting is that, uh, 
entrepreneurs in anticipation of this liability but who still would like to be a part of the cannabis industry have decided to to get into auxiliary businesses that do not necessarily touch the plant itself um, but kind of support the cultivation of the plant so uh, recently for example we, we've worked on a patent for a company that's developed um, a specialized lighting solution to cultivate the growth of the herb um, at maximum rates without compromising the quality of the herb. Um, and you see a lot of these companies popping up, soil companies that help facilitate the growth, um, locks to keep cannabis um, secure, but you know, taking into account what type of environment cannabis needs to sustain itself as uh, kind of a healthy viable herb and all this kind of stuff. So as you can imagine, depending on kind of what your interests are and what type of product you ultimately want to produce, you would need different sorts of legal protection. And you've just really opened up a whole doorway of like opportunities there because um, before I'd never really thought about what you could do using an app for um, the, the industry but now suddenly talking about all the um, industries around the side that don't touch the, uh, the the herb itself but you can you can help those who are prepared to do that then wow the opportunities are endless yeah and and beyond that you don't necessarily face the same federal restrictions um, when you're working in, in an auxiliary business because the federal restrictions are a direct function of the laws under the Controlled Substance Act. Um, and, and of course, if you're just putting together a light, that wouldn't necessarily implicate the Controlled Substance Act in the same way that cultivating the actual herb would. So it, it really does allow for greater flexibility and much less liability. Right. Okay. Well, there you go. There's one thing already for my apps to try to think about is uh, what, uh, what uh, opportunities are there to build an app that could help uh, those who are in the industry and uh, so, so let's talk about then um, that you've built like imagine you've built this kind of great brand because it's like the, it's the wild west at the moment with the green rush uh, how what, what are the steps to protecting that brand because often we we neglect um, the legal side and we just get on with the fun th- things the fun part right <laughs> well, like the, the, the first thing you really want to do um, and unfortunately many companies do not do this because as you said it's so much more fun to just get on with having your graphic designer put together a great logo and you know all this kind of stuff but but before you do any of that and before you invest your resources um, into having someone developed a brand identity for you, you want to make sure that you can actually own that brand identity. And what I mean by that, of course, is is that you need to ensure that no one else has already come up with your company name or, or that nobody else has already designed that logo. So this ties into kind of the, the um, subcategory of the intellectual property field known as trademark law. So for so we always use this example of nike so i'm, I'm not sure how um, salient nike is in, in the uk but in the united states everybody knows about nike shoes right um and you see a swoosh on that nike shoe and you know immediately that that shoe was produced by the nike brand and similarly if you were to see a shoe um that came out of a new uh, 
sneaker startup company that had the, the Nike swoosh on it or just that swoosh, you would think, wow, something's not right about that. The Nike company owns it. What are you doing with it? Right. So the, the idea is that we want to make sure that people are not cashing in on the brand work of other companies that preceded them. So anytime you start a new company, right? So anytime you start a new company, you want to make sure that your idea is original, unique, and that no one is going to try to stop you from getting it. Now, now this is where we're in the app world. And the app world is terrible for uh, people stealing ideas, copying lots of, um, uh, you know, like uh, just no protection. Uh, and actually, the, wor- the worst culprit is probably Apple because they, they see something cool uh, like... Uh, let me give you an example. Um, one of my favorite apps is Time Hop, where you get to see photos you've taken one year, two years, three years ago. And now that's in the photo um, app uh, under memories. So uh, always, um, you know, like you have this um, problem. So how, how can poor app developers protect themselves against copycats? Right. So, you know, intellectual property really covers... I would say three different essential types of intellectual property. So there is kind of the the brand identity portion of the intellectual property process. And that's kind of what we talked about. Trademarks, you know, trademarks serve to tether the brand name with a product. When a person sees a product with that brand name on it, they know that that company has been the, the producer of that product. So that's kind of one segment of intellectual property. A second segment of intellectual property is copyright law. Copyright law generally um, covers creative works. So if you were to, um, if you were a world class painter and you put together just some gorgeous picture, um, a, you're the new Picasso, <laughs> you know, you would get a copyright on it and make sure no one else can, can come and copy it. And, and then the last part, which I think is most interesting and relevant for app creators, although copyright law is um, implicated too, is patent law. And in patent law, what you're doing is you're protecting the proprietary um, idea, the invention, some new mechanical process, a new system, you know, some sort of, if you were the one to develop the, um, the combustible engine, that's something that gets covered by patent law. It's a new piece of technology that came out of your brain and and you're protecting. And so what you would do is after you, um, fleshed out the idea and wrote it down on paper and kind of went through the whole patent application process, um, you file it with the patent office and now no one can steal your idea. So uh, kind of circling back to your Apple analogy, the the tricky part um, in securing ideas for apps is that it's not always so clear, at least from the patent and trademarks office, that the idea is even patentable. So for example, you talked about a way of displaying pictures, right? Is that something that is really unique and proprietary or is that kind of an obvious use of technology to display pictures? So the patent office is kind of going to evaluate the um, the uniqueness of the idea. And for many of these things that you, know, you might have been the one to, quote, come up with, they're not necessarily something that are uh, protectable because they're not... Novel, kind of in in the eyes of the patent and trademark office. <laughs> you yeah, see what it, I mean? it, it's a really tough question because can you imagine 
like you're listening to the first part of our chat and you get really excited as an entrepreneur about the green rush you, and you know time to market is just uh, so important and yet now we're talking about patents that take um, months years and it, I'm guessing that 90% of people listening to this will just ignore it until they have enough money uh, to then worry about it you know like do you feel like that's normally what happens well, you know, there's kind of two parts about it. You know, there's uh, certainly if you're a new startup company and, and you need VC funding, venture capitalists want to see that you actually own the thing that you want them to invest in. So just applying for a patent, even if it hasn't been granted by the US PTO, by the, by the Patent and Trademark Office, you know, just the, the mere fact that you had submitted your application means that, you know, your patent is now, quote, patent pending. And that's certainly encouraging to investors. Um, but it's true, you know, it's a long process often. But it's one that's important to take. And certainly for the brand protection, you know, getting a trademark on your logo, on your name, it's incredibly important. It's not that expensive. Um, and it's just something that you have to do. So what we do on this show, Abe, is we try to get through to the, the genuine authenticity of running a startup. Many people have uh, listening to the show, have left a corporate job, have decided to go on their own. Uh, I would love to hear from you some of the horror stories that you've had and you, you've heard, whether it's your you know, it's clients or people, uh, of the, the dangers of not seeking professional legal uh, assistance uh, at the start of your startup journey. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things that, that we most often run into at startup companies is, is kind of the, the lack of professionalism and, and organization in the beginning steps. So, you know, person Joe thinks he comes up with, he comes up with an amazing idea and he's a little bit overwhelmed, but yet he still believes in it. And somehow he encourages his best friend, Mike, to be his co-founder. <laughs> As you can imagine, these, yeah. Yeah, you know, the, these friendship-based partnerships often result in a huge amount of strife, controversy, and often um, hurt feelings. So, so one of the things that, that we most often encounter is kind of a, um, a post-hoc approach to, to stitching up problems that, that should have been resolved right from the get-go. So it's super important for, for any starter, for any founder that, that kind of begins this process, make sure that you and your co-founder, if you have one, and often it is, in fact, quite a good idea to have one because it's a lot of work to start a startup company. Um, make sure you guys have delineated the terms of the agreement on paper and have run through all the different contingencies and, and different kind of permeabilities of, of things that, that may come about, how you're going to split up funds, who's going to be in charge of what, how much money each person is going to get, how much equity is expected to be contributed from each person. And, you know, all this kind of stuff, it really needs to be figured out in advance. And, and often founders, certainly when they're um, creating a partnership with a good friend of theirs, you know, they kind of think that they'll figure it out as they go along or, you know, we'll, we'll figure this out when, when it comes up. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. And this is the worst thing that you can do. Um, so that would be our first kind of piece of advice. Make sure that everything is laid out clearly and easily on paper from the beginning. Yeah, and can I just add that, uh, you know, I've had people on this show, 
many actually, some from Shark Tank, uh, who have actually cr- cried, cried to me because of the the pain that they've had to go through with uh, mostly its um, co-founder disagreements. And in fact, one of the I think one of the biggest reasons um, for, for startups to fail is possibly co-founder disagreement. I, I totally agree with that. I mean, ha- the, the business is only as strong as the people who um, are, comprise it. So if you think that because you and your best friend have a good time going out on a Saturday night, that means you guys will be good business partners, you know, think again, you know, really be careful about who you're, you're partnering up with and make sure you're both on the same page about what, what you're expected to contribute. So let me thank my two sponsors. These guys really help the show keep going. And uh, first is TopTal. Now, TopTal has two solid beliefs, things that I think are very noble. One is that they believe great talent is hard to find. And number two is that they actually believe that talent, uh, it takes a long time to access it. So when you use uh, TopTal, you're getting uh, access to great talent, which you'll find hard to find. And also um, you'll get it a lot quicker than if you were going through a normal recruiting uh, process. Now, if you think about a normal enterprise company, uh, there's a huge recruiting uh, staff and there's a number of um, outside agencies and stuff. And even though they have all these people working towards recruitment, it still takes a lot of time to find uh, great people. And so uh, the best thing to do is if you are in a rush, you want to get a project out, or if you have a shortage of a particular skill set, you don't need to now go through this uh, long recruiting cycle. You go to TopTal. TopTal has a wonderful network. They've done all the hard work for you. They've found uh, great talent. In fact, it's so great that they do reject uh, over 97% of uh, the applications that come through to them. So, and I know this because a lot of uh, de- developers and designers have gone through uh, as a result of uh, hearing my message here, uh, and th- they've not been up to um, you know the actual talent that the top talent is looking for. So, uh, it's a wonderful uh, network of very high talented uh, p- uh, developers and designers. Now, of course, these developers and designers, once in the TopTal network, don't have to worry about uh, marketing themselves because they are within TopTal. So they can devote more of their energy onto uh, client work and their their core strengths and not worry so much about marketing themselves. And that's another big win uh, by using TopTal. So uh, I highly recommend going to toptal.com forward slash pool toptal.com forward slash pool and what you will get is you'll get the ability to have a up to two week trial Uh, and that means that if you don't for some reason uh, like your experience with toptal they will pay your developer or designers costs over that period so uh, go to toptal.com forward slash pool and thank you very much to toptal for supporting the show Next is GummyCube. GummyCube is uh, wonderful when it comes to app store optimization. And, you know, as an app developer or as an app startup, I mean, it's just so hard to get the attention of uh, potential users. And so the easiest way to succeed is to ensure that you are highly visible in the app stores. And of course, you're competing against a lot of other apps. So you need what's called app store optimization. Just think SEO, but for apps. And what you don't need is data from uh, website searches. You don't need Google data that's uh, coming and deriving from a desktop browser. 
uh, you need data that's within the app stores. And so you need GummyCube because they have something called DataCube, which is pulling out uh, data from the app stores, making it so much more useful for you. Uh, so go to GummyCube.com. That's G-U-M-M-I-C-U-B-E, GummyCube.com. Go and check them out. Go and uh, sign up to their App Store optimization service and uh, you'll be thankful that you did. Thank you very much to GummyCube for supporting this show. Now back to my episode. Uh, and let's try and flip it around because you must have come across uh, best friends or I've, I've had quite a few married couples on this show that have had success. And do you see, do you see and what, what have they done to yeah what what have they done to make sure that they have success and and, and not have any um i guess it's what you were talking about yeah as you said you know the, the flip side is that because they are such good friends there i think is an added level of commitment and often even uh, a sense of urgency that you know i really care about this other person i don't want them to be disappointed in me it's not just some joe schmo that i could just get up and quit you know there there is kind of this understanding that the friendship has now become very intimately intertwined with with the business relationship and so that sort of responsibility i think compels people to work harder um with greater passion with greater urgency than they would otherwise have if they were just um starting a company with strangers so it's certainly an incentive and it creates a lot of pressure and you know, there's that famous saying, pressure either creates diamonds or it creates dust. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to make sure that this pressure creates diamonds. So, so Abe, in the, before we say goodbye to you, there is one more subject area that I would love to discuss, especially given your legal perspective, and that's the... Um, artificial intelligence and especially with uh, autonomous cars and I love you, this topic yeah, are you getting involved in that stuff very very much so um, you know first just on a theoretical level there is this brilliant neuroscientist and, and philosopher named Sam Harris I'm not sure if you've heard of him but yes he, he he's, a, got his, he's got his podcast I think uh, listen to yeah him. he's got an amazing podcast so you know many people are, are skeptical many people are skeptical about the idea of artificial intelligence you know there's kind of this um, there, there's this intuition that it's it just it just can't be real and and so they kind of very easily shrug it off but but sam harris has come up with this formulation um which in my mind almost proves its inevitability so, so basically the, the idea goes like this so well so first of all you know what is artificial intelligence briefly right there, there's kind of two parts there's soft artificial intelligence um or you know generalizable artificial intelligence like the computer programs that that beat the, these world champions right so they've been their algorithms kind of are geared towards solving one essential problem and they're preloaded with all these different inputs and and so uh, effectively they, they work better at humans at completing that given task so you know the best chess player in the world now can never compete with the best um computer chess program but the artificial intelligence that, that people are concerned about is what's called um, generalizable, generalized artificial intelligence, where where the technology is imbued in, in this thing that can kind of navigate all areas and all different um, dimensions of our world. So not only does this program kick ass in chess, but it knows how to... Um, 
go to the grocery store and pick up your wife's favorite flowers. <laughs> so, uh, you know, people think of the Terminator as kind of the archetype example, the, the paradigm of what artificial intelligence could be, this android-like entity kind of navigating through the world and just acting as he sees fits. And people think, you know, no, that, that's too far off. So, you know, you listen to Sam Harrison and he has this, this postulation of why it is inevitable. So basically the idea is that in order to see that, that artificial intelligence is in fact inevitable, you only have to accept two different things. The first thing you need to accept is that intelligence is only a ultimately a function of information processing that's what intelligence boils down to you know there there's nothing special or, or mystical about our brain it's just cells neurons interacting in, in different interesting ways and, and that kind of produces intelligence so a intelligence is information processing and b that we as uh, you know the world, humanity, we're continuously moving towards increasing our the capacities of our information uh, information processing systems. So we're continuously building new technologies that work to increase um, our information processing systems. So so once you accept both of those things, it is only an inevitability that we will develop informational uh, intelligence, you know, technologies of, of, of sufficiently great intelligence to produce kind of this artificial intelligence that we're speaking about. And, and then at a certain point, the point of singularity or, you know, some intelligence explosion, as different scientists have coined the term, the technology will kind of run away from us and they'll be processing information in ways and at depths that humans could not possibly even conceive of. So <laughs> that's, that's the doomsday. Uh, yeah. Well, that, that's a yeah. good um, setup for a future episode where I talk about that with the co-founder of Skype, um, which is a big episode, episode 500. So it's a good, um, in a good segue to that. Uh, uh, Abe, is there anything we have missed before I say goodbye? If we, do you feel like we touched on the, the topics that you would, you wanted to most get out? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think a lot of the discussion we had today was abstract, so <laughs> I, I feel almost that I, that I should apologize for that. I, no, I, hope that, you're, I love it. Yeah. Um, but yeah. how can people best get in touch with you? What, what's the best way of connecting? Yeah, so please visit our website at thclegalgroup.com. We have some great resources up there for startups, um, you know, how to go about structuring equity, how to pay your employees when you don't have any money yet, all this kind of stuff, what you need to know before you visit a venture capitalist firm and ask for money. Um, yeah, so please feel free to visit our website. You can shoot us an email at info at thclegalgroup.com. Um, and of course, we are always on Twitter. Our handle is THC underscore group. Great. Well, Abe, it's been a fascinating talk with you. Thanks very much for coming on the App Guy podcast. And uh, let's hope we can survive the singularity. Let's hope we can survive it. Well, thanks so much, Paul. This was a lot of fun for me too. Thank you. So one final thought, and I'm sure there's app entrepreneurs listening to this podcast who have gone through the pain of launching an app. Maybe you failed, and many of us have. I wondered if you'd gone through that process and had learned about any particular growth hacks that 
you've come across that worked for you. And the reason is I recently had a, an interesting chat with an entrepreneur who ultimately did fail, but they had some wonderful success from um, something called FameBit, which is an influencer marketing um, site. And so it got me thinking, I, I just need to ask you guys, is anyone out there listening to this who has a really great growth hack uh, that attracts a lot of downloads for a launch? I mean, I've got my own things that I do and I've done them very well, but it's always important to kind of expand my reach and try and figure out what actually works and also what doesn't work. Because in the same conversation, this guy lost a lot of money from going to a pretty much a corrupt marketing agency. So what works, what doesn't work, please get in touch and let me know. It's paul at theappguy.co, paul at theappguy.co. And if it's fascinating, um, I'm happy to share it with everyone, you know, what I learned. So thank you very much for helping me out and I look forward to getting another episode to you shortly. Bye for now.